Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host. And today, I get to bring back our special guest that we have usually once every couple months. This happens to be my lovely wife, uh, Brandy McDonald. Welcome, honey, to the podcast. What's up, Dr. Don? <laughs> and you're not allowed, not allowed to be creepy. And I'm happy to be this back. professional. Yes. So, today... We, we got a few things to talk about. We have a couple updates. We have some, some things that we'd like to share from, uh, from like one of the last events we just finished up. And we have some exciting news for some new things that are coming in the near future. So, here, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about our, uh, we had our inaugural The Shift Unplugged in Phoenix uh, in February. And, uh, and it was kind of cool because it kind of turned out a little bit different than we thought it was going to turn out. Because a lot of the stuff that we do, we end up just putting it out there and just seeing how it is. We want to be like a healthy nervous system where we, we action and then evolve and then see how things are going. So how how was your experience at the at the Shift Unplugged Infuse? Well, I think we decided to do, uh, we have our Vitality Shift Immersion Day. And I think some people thought that that's what it was. And the Vitality Shift Immersion Day is like pretty content heavy. So we basically take our online program and I teach it over eight hours live. So of course you you basically get snippets of it and stuff that you can take home. And the shift unplugged was we wanted to take some of our concepts of the vitality shift, which our biggest concept of the shift is that you do you like in chiropractic and in life, you do you We're, we teach only concepts. We don't teach uh, scripts. We don't teach how to's. We don't give out paperwork much to the dismay of so many people. We really want people to source their wisdom. And that is the idea behind the program and so when we did the shift unplugged, we wanted to actually then create an organic kind of get together with people and just see what happened. Of course, we had some content, but we also wanted people to come together with like-minded chiropractors. Some are shifters and some weren't. And, and I think like we know this now, or I know this now, because I've been to so many countries and now we've dealt with tens of thousands of chiropractors so, and staff. And so we know that everybody's experience is the same. It doesn't matter what country they live in. But you can't really tell somebody that. They really think that their experience is unique when they're living it. And I think the biggest thing about the Unplugged, especially the Friday night event that we did, which was a social slash speed dating sort of event, is the feedback when everybody stood up was, I can't believe how many people are experiencing what I'm experiencing. Uh-huh. And I think that's huge for people because as we move away from connected um, face-to-face with people and we go more to online or mega seminars, not that those are bad, they just, you lose the connection with people in real time and social media. So what happens is people really can start to think and the brain can basically convince you that you are unique in your challenges. And, and, then, we, and then we start lying about them or we sanitize them or we don't say they are what they are. And we just Great solution. We hope it goes away. We hope it goes away. Just like our practice members, like the most dangerous words in the English language, I always say to our practice members is, I hope it just goes away. It's the same with us. And so when people actually get together in an intimate setting, which which is why that particular event was so small, 
and they can just tell their truth, not the truth, by the way, their truth, because there is no the truth. It's only our own truths that we have. Um, it was, it was incredibly, I think, empowering for people to go, holy smokes, like if I'm not there right now, I have been there or also to look around the corner for some of the younger docs in the, in the event where they don't have the capacity yet to look around the corner, but they have access to chiropractors who have already been around the corner who can sort of, you can't tell somebody what to do, but you can at least share your experience with them. And I think the other thing that I, I really liked about it too is that we kind of left we left um, parts open to be able to adapt people that were there. And I think that's the kind of unique thing about that is that yes, we still had some content, but with being able to get people to know people more intimately on intimate setting, we were able to ta tailor the rest of the event kind of specifically to those people. And I think that was that was it's kind of like a combination between a seminar and a mastermind, right? So it was kind of like it, uh, it had that nice kind of feel to it. Well, I think that for a lot of people, like we wanted to, um, the shift unplugged was just kind of a, a brainchild of our brain trust with Dr. Peter Kevorkian. And we just thought at first it was just like, let's just get away. Let's just spread the pool of Phoenix. That's yeah, sort of how it's freezing in the winter. Yep. And then more and more people wanted to attend. So we had to create some, some structure around it and content around it. Um, but I think it's, I think people are so rigid it's interesting as we have created more and more programs and support for chiropractors, we start to see how rigid people are. Like when we did our Transformers Mastermind, it was the same idea. Like people really want to know every in and out of what it's going to look like every hour of every minute of the day. And that rigidity is actually, again, just like the nervous system, if you have a rigid neurology, you are unhealthy because you're not adaptable or plastic. And so a lot of our events, we build that in. And it's interesting how much that stresses people out. Because mm -hmm. first of all, they, don't, they can't control the outcome. So if you go to a seminar and it has like set times and who's doing what and what the content is and what you're doing every minute of every hour, it, it gives people this false sense of ease because they can control what's going to happen. But when we, you come to an event like the Unplugged with us or you come to the Transformers Mastermind, there's going to be a loose structure. But the group process is actually the thing that drives the content. And so that's a different way of thinking. And I, I would say in chiropractic, there's not a lot of people doing that because we should know we've pretty much been everywhere. But it's to have a group process drive content, first of all, is scary because it means you actually have to talk, tell the truth, your truth. And secondarily, you have to release some of your control to the facilitators in the sense that you, you don't control the outcome that whatever's going to come through you and a few people after were, were a bit surprised at, at what they took away or what happened for them at the event because that's not how they went with a perceived idea of what was going to happen. And then something totally different happened for them. And they were a bit like, Oh, that was wild. So I, I think that that is, um, it's a unique way to do things. And it's also a good analogy for people's lives that if you're living in that rigidity, non-plastic controlling every outcome, attempting to control every outcome every minute, every hour, what things look like on your cupboard. And we're spending all of our time and effort and energy um, and then that finite life force energy and doing that. Then the question is, where do you create? There's no, you don't have enough neuroefficiency to create. You can't be in both states. And so that creative state, I think, is what really we wanted to bring out of the participants in the Shift Unplugged but also for everybody listening on the podcast, that's part of what you want to actually create for your life, that you have enough of that plasticity so that you can get to, 
to that state of creativity. And, and how, how would somebody do that if they're on their own? Like if they, can't, they haven't been able to make it to our event, but they're like listening to this in their car and they're like, how could, how could I create a little bit of space for myself? Do you have any kind of tips on how someone could start with that or just kind of frame it? Well, I think that's a good question. Actually, one of our chiropractic assistants, that was one of her goals. And so she's um, quite creative and she just finds that the, the more that she's in that rigid state in her mind that eased from her anxiety without realizing that habitualized behavior actually created anxiety. And so what she did is she had to create, um, she had to create a discipline. So I guess we, we could talk about, uh, we've done quite a bit of work with our turbo shifters on the difference between disciplines, rituals, and habits. And the discipline that she had to create, and for anybody who's trying to create more creative space, is, you know, two or three times a week, she had to, now again, Here's the rigid part of creativity. She had to schedule out, because the discipline is rigid. She had to schedule out in her week the hour of the day. And so she would look at her week and she'd look at, okay, what are the days that I'm not working 10 hours if she's at our practice and then her other job? It had to be days that she's only working like a half a day. In those days, she had an hour. For her, she's actually an artist. And so she draws and paints and sculpts. And um, so she, in that time, that's what she wanted to do. And then the next question I had with her was that, do you have a space for that? Because if you are going to do creativity through art and you don't have a space for it, where are you going to create the art? So first, before she could create the discipline, she had to create the environment to support the discipline. Because if the environment's not supportive of the discipline, then the discipline's not going to be sustainable. So then she created a place at her kitchen table where she cleaned it all off and she set up all her art supplies. So that it was easily accessible. Because remember, the most of us are living in this childlike brain where we're like, if it's not easy, I don't do it. Great. It's too hard. Pretty much the way that most of us think. And the more we're under stress, the more likely we are to act like a child or a toddler. So you, have, you actually have to, if you're looking for something to, to find more, whatever creativity means for you, God help me, creativity is not art. If you follow me on Facebook, you've seen my whiteboards. I am not creative in the sense of artwork. Only stigma. My stickman is pretty much, and if I draw anything else, which I just draw, especially my team training means just to bother the staff to try and figure out what I'm drawing. I like the blues. What was that game you used to play where you had to draw pictures and stuff and then like you had to guess? Pictionary. Pictionary, yeah. Pictionary. But anyways, that's another, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but, I, but that's not where my creativity comes in. My creativity actually comes usually in my words and my language. My creativity is actually in my Facebook posts. It is in my, is, it is in my whiteboards for the sense of my ideas that I get across, my concepts that I get across on a very, like, in a very short period of time. Um, so that's how I express my creativity. I also express it through my aesthetics. So, I mean, in my clothes, my shoes, my jewelry, all that kind of stuff. So everybody has a different way of creating, of expressing creativity. And they, and that's something you know, when you, when you do it, it's innate to you to work at it, but you probably have to work at finding a discipline to find time to express it. And the more rigid you are in your schedule, the less likely you are. So if you're looking at creating more time. First, you have to create a discipline. Because what a discipline does is a discipline interrupts ritualized thinking, which leads to habitualized behavior. So those are the two biggest barriers we have to achieving anything we want. We ritualistically think or feel a certain way, and then we habitually behave in such a way that it keeps that thinking alive. And it's like this constant repeat in the neurology and the physiology to stay rigid, which again, does not make you adaptable. So a discipline is meant to interrupt ritualized thinking where I have to do this, I have to do this, then I do this, then I do this. 
And so, and it's interesting if you run a, a busy life and you're running kids and families and practice and bit, multiple businesses, I think people get confused with structure over ritualistic thinking. The structure is all the things that you do to keep things afloat, right? That the kids get up at a certain time and that you have your breakfast and you make your meals and though that's a structure to your life that's different than ritualized thinking ritualized thinking is that if something doesn't go a certain way or you try and control an outcome and it doesn't happen then it creates a huge sense of physio physiological discomfort in you or anxiety in you then you know that's a ritualistic way of thinking and you will habitually behave to create that which leaves no room for creativity so the discipline is really meant to interrupt that and then your behavior changes because you've interrupted that ritualized way of thinking. Well, I just, I was just, you know how I was thinking pictures. So I'm thinking of the structure like bookends uh, with bookends of time with potential in the inside, right? There's, there's, there's infinite potential on the end of the bookends, even though it sounds like it's structural and it's not creative. It is the, it is the, the start and the end. And then the inside is the possibility. So it's kind of like the bookends. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not that they, you don't need it. It's just if it becomes so rigid um, and, and anything that bears off, veers off of that mm. creates a massive sense of discomfort. That's how you kind of know, you, you sort of know that you're in habitualized behavior because that's what we found with the, um, with the participants of the Unplugged is when we took them out of their environment of their lives and we asked them to do something that's not even real. It's not even happening to them. They're either going to role play something or do a conflict resolution or do it. It's not even happening to them. Like they're doing it with a friend of theirs. And it's really nice. Such a sense of anxiety and breakdown that they can't do it. That's that. Then, you know, they are ritualistically thinking and behaving and they're either going to avoid that, which happens in practice, or they are going to set up so many rules and regulations and structure around it, strategies around it, that it's almost impossible to, to find any creative, expressive time in their lives. And that's really like, that's what our brain is meant to be in some point. It's not one or the other. It's not all creativity. It's not all structure, but blended together. Those are your two hemispheres. And those really are meant to work beautifully together. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that was part of the one, one of my talks there was our, we can never say his name right. My high chick sick me high. <laughs> correct me on that because it's a horrible. He he's a horrible way to explain, but he has a tough name. You just you just like saying that over my high chick, high chick sick me high or something. You just like yeah. to say his name over and over. I, yes, I totally do. And uh, and so his first book was called Flow, and then his second book is called The Evolved Self. And um, what was I found super interesting was it's it's about when you're trying to evolve yourself, you, that's self driven, so that you don't become basically a a victim of your environment. And I really liked it in there. And I'll go over the three veils uh, that, that he mentions in the book because we talked about it at the seminar is that most people in order to evolve their self have to overcome these three veils uh, that, that block them from finding their true self. And the first veil is the genetic veil. And the genetic veil are all those initial uh, genetic drives that we have to survive. Because basically, if you go back 100 years from today, our environment was massively, massively different than it is today like more so than it ever has been in the history of time. So our, our environment has evolved way, way, way faster than we've been able to evolve. So our initial things, or like he says in the book, the things that initially feel good to you, like things that feel good are genetically there on purpose to help you survive, whether it's sugar, whether it's salt, whether it's sex, whether it's 
all these different kinds of things um, are there in order for us to perpetuate our survival. And, and nowadays in today's environment, it's so easy to get a hold of those things that if we just get run by our genetic drives, that, that gets us into trouble because then we get like addiction and all that kind of stuff. The second, um, well, yeah, you get addiction probably in all three of the veils, but, <laughs> but on the second veil is the social veil. And the social veil is basically like your family, your culture, your society, um, your profession, um, whoever you hang around with most, they, they have these rules that they place on the people in their group. And there is a huge drive to follow those rules or else you'll be kicked out, shamed, or put to the side. And this might be kind of some of the challenges that chiropractic is experiencing right now is that if we don't become MSK professionals, we're going to be kicked out on the side and be all by ourselves. Now, that's not in, in rally, we will still survive because it's not like in the old days that if you lived in a tribe and got kicked out, um, and you would die because you could not survive on your own. Um, and so those are the things that we want to kind of pull that back and say, am I being, am I being victim of my genetic um, drives? Am I being victim of my social drives? And then the last one is just the ego. And the ego is that a self-identity. And um, like Tony Robbins says, one of the biggest drives is just for us to reconfirm that we know who we are in our identity. And, um, and that's kind of part of that habitual thinking, right? That you just kind of, you just kind of keep thinking. So those were kind of the three different things. That's why we always say that at the beginning, if we're uh, trying to say, because we're talking about growing practices or being as a, chiro as, a, as a chiropractor. And when you're in crisis, it's a lot easier to motivate yourself because you're in desperation, but it's a lot harder to motivate yourself when you're not in desperation anymore, because unless you evolve the self, we still end up getting driven by those three veils. Well, and the genetic one is the strongest because that's the way the brain, the brain is wired. We're wired to survive. And so I think that it, it's, it's hard to ask yourself if you are in survival when you're in survival. So I, um, whenever I do public talks about chronic stress in the brain, I always liken it to the fact that, you know, at that point in time when the bear is like actually chewed your arm off, you're not typically asking yourself, hmm, how did I get myself into this situation? That's not <laughs> typically the time where you have the ability, nor should you, to access the higher centers of the brain and have some, some awareness that that frontal lobe gives us to really uh, override the amygdala and uh, the survival instinct that is that we all need. We just don't, we just fire it more than we need to today because most of us, that's not, that's not happening to us. It's not, it's not real. We've just created it as if it's real. And then the more patterned we become in it, the harder it is to get out of it, which is what we see in chiropractic. Oh my God. It, we see it today in, in the world, in the profession. We see it with every single practice member. I, we see it with chiropractors we work with. But I think that the we, you did that presentation at the Shift Unplugged about three veils. And one of the things that we wanted people to look at is we want to look at if you were to ask yourself, okay, where is my where is my amygdala hijacking me? So how do you know that? Well, the easiest question, again, it's not when the bear is chewing your arm off is when you're asking this question. But where is my amygdala hijacking my brain is when you start to, oh, I see this all the time with people in our practice. When you start to obsess about all the things that could go wrong and you start to become hyper vigilant to the environment of all the dangers, but it's not happening. So that hyper vigilance, which again is like, um, what's that movie at Predator? I think Predator when Predator like puts his little face on. Oh, and, and like all, it all, like you can see his behind his eyes, how everything becomes like vivid, like almost like his x-ray glasses. 
That's that. That's the hypervigilance that happens when the amygdala is highly active brain. Because like a jackrabbit in a field that's prey, they have to be uber aware of every nook, cranny, wind blow movement because they are going to get eaten by a coyote or, or another predator. We also have create that because then we start to go, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what if I get deregulated? And what if then I'm not going to practice? And then chiropractic will be dead and then we'll all be in jail. And like you start <laughs> to create this entire story, which is actually when, when you can catch yourself doing that, you are being hijacked by your amygdala. It is telling you that you need to be hyper aware and vigilant of your environment. And if you don't, you're going to die, which you are not going to die. 99% of the time, that response, you are fine. We're in a developed country. You're generally laying in your bed with a big comforter over on top of you, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're fine. <laughs> right? So that is, that's the, that's the un, unraveling or the lifting of the genetic veil. That's one of the easiest things to do is to observe yourself in a state where you are then looking for um, external threats that simply aren't there but you're looking for them and you're, you're always going to find some degree of validation because you're going to validate the, the ego veil that, that they, that, oh, see, I told you, right. Cause you, you look for it. This always it. happens to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the genetic veil. And the, the social veil is, is much harder because this is all, I should say it's much harder. It's just different. It's, this is everything we've been taught, like everything. And, um, and there again, because we're wired to be connected to one another because connection kept us alive and connection literally does keep us alive to other humans. It, the social veil is very difficult to lift because this is where you start questioning, you know, what, what everybody's ever taught you from the history of time, including your parents and your coaches and your teachers and your, you know, church and your schooling and chiropractors and coaches and blah, 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 blah. That's very difficult to do. It's not impossible, but it's one of those things that, that I, I've talked in past um, podcasts about concentric circles. The easiest way is to start with the outside concentric circle of social veil, which are people you really don't have any connection to. And, and ask yourself and filter yourself, is this true? This is true for me. Would this work for me? And the ego veil is your identity. And the, the lifting of that, one of the strategies that we had was really, this is really where how much you are reconfirming the lies you believe based on the social veil. Because what that means is if you've been told, you know, like me, I've been told my whole life I'm like a bossy and I'm loud and I'm, you know, which frankly I am all of those things. <laughs> and then, I, you know, or that I'll never be anything or that I'll, nobody will ever take me seriously and girls don't talk like that. And you don't have enough education. You don't have enough education. You need a postgraduate degree. Nobody's ever going to respect you. You're not a chiropractor. You dress this. weird. You dress, you dress too girly. They won't respect you. Yeah. I, yeah, you can't wait. Your shoes are too fa fancy. So, so my so ego veil is, is that your identity or not? And if it is your identity, then you seek. So some of that is the social veil. And, and the second is, is your identity that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, that you are not brave enough, that you're not courageous enough, that you don't have value. Those hearing a lot of the social veil feedback confirms those ego veils that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough. And we said it before on podcasts and we'll say it again a million times. Now it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chiropractors. Now we've worked with, and if we were to strip everything away 
uh, every practice script, every program they've bought, everything as to why somebody's not thriving. It's because they don't feel worthy. And that, and then we will seek people, we will seek circumstances, we will seek environments that confirm that we aren't worth it. And then, and until we can actually lift that ego veil and talk about it and tell the truth about it and live in it for a few minutes and just realize it's not true, you never get past that. You can fake it for a long time, but you never really fully lift that veil. And I, I also shared um, a study that I'd read in a book called Peak Performance, um, where they took, because we talk about, okay, how, how can you increase your amygdala security? And so I was talking about that too. Like the, we always talk about, you know, how like they have the uh, security guys on the planes. Um, how, we, how do we have a security guy for our amygdala so it doesn't hijack our whole brain? <laughs> so they did a study where they had a group of people who were avid meditators. And, and it, when you have a meditator, what they do is they've created a discipline on how to strengthen the security system of their amygdala to not hijack the brain. And then they Which had, is breaking a discipline that breaks ritualistic thinking. Yes, totally. And then they had another group of people who just never meditated ever before. And um, and then what they did is they burnt. They, well, first they hooked up their brain to a functional MRI to look at brain activity, and then they took a hot wire and burnt them all. But what they did is they, so what they do is they they do a hot wire burn burn the skin, and then they look at what happens in the brain afterwards. And the interesting thing was every single group, both groups. Um, fired the amygdala like it did because it, it was a stress response and it was it was definitely something to an it's like an alert system to your body going something's wrong um, but the thing they found out very interesting was the the avid meditators uh, their brain went back to default the quickest like it went back right away and and what they found with the people who didn't meditate or didn't have the discipline of of protecting their amygdala um, Basically, it just kept firing. So that's what they call amygdala hijack. It just kept firing the stress response and the stress response and the stress response and the stress response and the stress response. And I always talk, like talked about my book about closing the refractory period. They, they had a huge refractory period to be able to get back to um, a neutral state uh, afterwards after that, that one impact. So we talked about it in the Unplugged about the, the importance of trying to do different disciplines in when you're in a parasympathetic state so that you can actually, because you've got to practice away from the game. Randy, you always say this all the time. You always got to practice away from the, not only just your staff and your procedures in your office, you, you need to do that as well in your brain. Well, because like we said, at the Unplugged, you're the product, right? You're the product and you're the service in a business model. And yeah. so you, you basically, if you don't have a mechanism to um, secure your brain from the amygdala hijacking you, uh, you don't have quality control on your product. Yeah, and quality as soon as you don't have a control, quality control a quality controller for your product, now you're inconsistent. And when you're inconsistent in practice, every environmental change, every person, every change impacts you because your amygdala takes over, then your product and your service is inconsistent. So that's like basically if we were to like put out, lay, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? When they're, conveyor belts. Oh yeah, like ma making belts. a product on a conveyor belt. Right? And you know how they have people assembly like- Assembly line, assembly yeah. line. They have an assembly line of conveyor belts of people checking quality of products and gidges that nobody cares about. And yet you go into practice, you lay your hands on people and potentially change their lives. And we don't have a quality product controller. That's crazy. The difference is somebody can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. Well, and we all know what it feels like not only to be a chiropractor, but also to be on the receiving end of an adjustment where someone's not totally focused and, 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 and the quality assurance has dropped because and I, I've had this lots in practice before too, where that's one of my key things now is to always elevate my product, which is elevate my state. 
because there's days where you just feel off and these things aren't connecting as well. I just feel like a golf game or, or anything that you're doing physically, like you just, you're not right into it. And that was what I just talked about. The, the most important thing about chiropractic is you, know, you can work our butt off to get new people to come in your door. You can work your butt off to have the most amazing systems to retain your practice members. You can have the most amazing practice member um, health talks and all this kind of stuff. And the most trained, the trained staff, and if your product quality is up and down all over the place, it just like it just diminishes all that extra work that you're doing. And and people are all, that's why they're always looking outside of themselves. What's the outside thing I can do to help grow my practice? When this is this is part of the the shift unplug is actually let's check out on the inside because when you have an amazing product, you can even do the other things not that well. Yeah, totally. And you, and you can welcome to the profession. Yeah. <laughs> totally. You got people who are like amazing adjusters and then they don't have that great of systems and stuff and they still do quite well, right? Totally. But if, you're, totally. if your product is bad, you know, it doesn't help all the marketing in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you let everybody know about the, the next Unplugged we're doing? Because we're only really doing one Unplugged. Uh, we haven't really even picked a Vitality Shift Immersion Day this year yet. We've been kind of lazy. Um, I think we overdid it a little bit last year, but <laughs> <laughs> with some of the stuff that we did. But we are for sure... Go ahead. You can explain it, my dear. Well, I don't know. Do you talk about the next shift unplugged? Is that we? The yeah. The next, okay, so the next shift unplugged is at the in the gold at the Gold Coast in Australia. It's actually, technically called King's Cliff, which is about twenty minutes outside the Gold Coast Airport, and I believe about an hour and a half from Brisbane. Don't kill me, us Aussies. I think that's the case. Um, so yeah, it's uh, going to be similar to the one that we did in Phoenix in the sense that. Um, the structure of it is the same. Obviously, the speakers are totally different. Um, and But the idea of sourcing that flexibility, plasticity, and wisdom is really going to be the intention of it. We, yes, we talk about chiropractic. Yes, we talk about practices. Yes, we talk about success strategies. But it's, it's sort of a stay-and-play idea in the sense that we want people to come Friday night for the social. Saturday is actually the main event. But we want people to stay, um, you know, hang out with us and others. It's very small. I keep it, we're going to keep it to 30, which is small enough that the group process can um, guide some of the content, but not huge. The people don't get their needs met. So I think we, we already, we only have 20 spaces left. We've already got 10 gone. Um, yeah, all the, all the information's on our website at uh, trueconceptseminars.com. I'm sure you'll have the link in the show notes. But yeah, I think that'll be, that'll be great. Our speakers will be, um, Dr. Ali Young, who is a pediatric master in Australia and one of our shifter mentors. She's going to be talking about vitality and peds. Uh, Dr. Ben Purcell, again, is a shifter mentor. He's also in Australia and he's got a pretty big family-based practice in Australia. And uh, he, he's the king of um, explaining some of the vitality shift concepts, but, but also he's also a technique guru. He practices in a really unique way, so I'm excited to hear him. You, Dr. John McDonald. Oh, yes. Brandy McDonald. Which Dr. Craig. Dr. Craig. People. Dr. And Craig of Flip course, and Kath. <laughs> did you want me to tell it or did you want well, to? Well, I, I thought you forgot, so I was telling you. I did not forget. Oh, just checking. I'm just, I'm just making sure you don't mess up. So, yes, Dr. Craig Foote and Kath Foote are going to co-talk. Um, as you may or may not know, he's the president of the Australian Spinal Research Foundation. They are in practice together in Perth. She's a chiropractic assistant and runs the business. Um, so the two of them are going to do a co-talk together. So it should be a fun, a fun weekend. So hopefully um, 
the Aussies, hey, fly over North America. It's just, it's honestly a direct flight from San Fran. You can fly right into the Gold Coast. Uh, Vancouver, you fly right into the Gold Coast. I don't know if you can go on the Gold Coast. Brisbane, I think you do Vancouver, Brisbane. Maybe Brisbane, but anyways, we're going, we're going through Auckland. We're going yeah. Air New Zealand through Auckland. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's at uh, trueconceptseminars.com. It's going to be uh, June or May 31st, June 1st is the, is the Saturday that we're going to be there. And we're going to be there for about a week, just about, right? Hanging out. Uh, week, you betcha, yeah. Yeah, so if you're going to stay, stay a little bit longer, and then we can, we can hang out, and that'll be fun. Now, the next thing is uh, we wanted to uh, right be probably close to the time that your first book comes out. Maybe you can tell the listeners about Sipping Brandy, which has been our little project we've been working on. Um, what would you like me to say? What it is? Like, Sipping Brandy is, um, yeah, a, comp- what is a compilation of all of my, not all of them, are you kidding me, of of, of top Facebook posts that I've written over the last two years. Um, I, probably people listen to this podcast that don't follow me on Facebook because I my friend list is full and I have a public page, but it's not car project specific. So um, for those of you that don't aren't able to follow me on Facebook and my private page, um, I just started writing a few years ago on Facebook, just stories about my practice, people we talk to, the way I communicate, the way I handle situations, my opinion on things. Um, it was started as being cathartic from my perspective. So think journaling on Facebook (laughs) and and all of a sudden I started getting feedback from hundreds of chiropractors that they were, you know, saving my Facebook posts and screenshotting them and they had files on their computer and people were printing them out, making binders for their staff. And I was getting messages asking if their family could follow me or friends could follow me. And so, and then I started getting asked when, when was this all going to be put into a book? And my first response was never, it's never going to be a book. Facebook. Like read, who wants to read a bunch of Facebook posts in a book? And you, of course you had always wanted me to write a book. And bef- before, of course we launched on the official writing of an actual book, meaning that I'm writing the content, not just Facebook posts. Um, but he, you had already compiled probably a hundred of my posts. And then, uh, Dr. Sabrina Berkowitz, who's in Ontario, who's a female chiropractor, a few years ago came up to me and just randomly said out of the blue, if you ever think about putting your Facebook post into a book, I'll help you with that. So enough people came together and basically coerced me to, put, to, to decide that this might be a good idea. And Sipping Brandy was, was formed. And so it's a compilation of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of my Facebook posts and a few blogs that I wrote over the years that were most popular. And they just combine base, uh, stories of our practice, the way I communicate chiropractic to people, um, my take on the world, my take on personal development, my own personal journey and healing. And uh, it's put together in one probably massive book. So it went to the publisher yesterday the front cover has been designed the back cover's finished we just are looking now for layout and final editing and then it will be ready to go and it's it's specifically for neurologically focused chiropractors and their staff it is not for the public i'm sure lots of you will give it to people but it is really the level of writing and the level of information really meant for chiropractors in our brand doing what we love to do and their teams and that's that's the target market and it's so funny because it's been such a little team effort because we got uh you know me doing some stuff to put it together sabrina putting some stuff together our really good friend tadra um bolton who's uh i talk about uh her and her her past husband passed away from als they've been really good friends of ours for a long time uh, she edited the book she let us borrow her house to shoot the front cover of the book so yeah. 
it's been like a little uh like a little uh family kind of a little tribe yeah a little tribe thing that we all work together so we're pretty excited for that to come out and that'll be coming out here in um well we're not sure but probably maybe april or or may depending on how how things go but it'll be available on amazon yeah and so I, I think really what people will use it for is a lot of chiropractors will be using it for, uh, you know, use it for topics for their staff trainings, right? Yep. Um, in the past, people have taken different um, Facebook quotes and they, and they bring it up to discuss as a, as, a, as a team on just increasing the quality of your conversations with your practice members to take people away from the idea of chiropractic is only about pain to how it helps to improve function and quality of life. Well, and some of them have really taken it and they... Uh, you know, I've had people message me about their screenshots on their phone. And so not everything is a chiropractic story in the book and not all my posts are about chiropractic. It really has been about my evolution and journey and continued journey to try to continue to be as unveiled as I can and inspiring others to be also unveiled. And so that that's really, um, you know, we talked about creativity at the beginning of the podcast that it really has just been my creative outlet and you know if we talk about social veils or ego veils um i hated writing as a kid i just despised it as in in high school i killed every book report i ever did but i fail i would i would always fail the written part of the book report and I would always pass the oral presentation. And it was almost counter opposite to everybody in the class because, again, speaking for most people is like, they'd rather die than public speak, right? So that starts really young as a kid because you're worried about what people think of you. And for some reason, that was less worrisome for me than writing. And then I went on to university and took an English class. And I think I failed. I actually think I failed that English class because that's where the grammar mattered and like sourcing uh, like quotes and, oh my God, like numbering them all and indexing everything. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I can't remember this a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure I failed that English class. So really do not take it upon myself to write anything. And so for me, and then early on in chiropractic, I, I did an email newsletter. So when I first, first started speaking to uh, chiropractic assistants, I thought, actually, you told me, well, you should do an email newsletter. This is a great idea. Let's start collecting names. And in those days, of course, there were no opt-ins. You didn't have like a funnel. I had it on a piece of paper at a seminar. I said, if people want to be part of my email newsletter, they wrote out their email on this piece of paper and handed it back to me. And I collected hundreds of names and emails. And I used to write a monthly email newsletter. And oh my God, the feedback from the chiropractors about my grammar or I missed a period. Yeah, or you got was, slaughtered. <laughs> I got slaughtered in, in this. And then, so I mean, I spent most of my time in that period of time taking people's names off the email newsletter because I'm like, so right back to where I was in, in university and high school where I just will never be a writer, right? Mm -hmm. confirming, my, confirming my ego veil. When Facebook came along, the first few years, I didn't really use it at all. And then I just started realizing, you know, you can use it for good or evil. And it doesn't have to be evil. It can actually be content orientated. And there's very few people I follow. I don't, I don't see a lot of content, good content on Facebook. And I know a lot of people hoard their content because people purchase it. And I have lots of purchasable things. And if people want free stuff of mine, then I tell them to follow me on Facebook. That's where my free content is. That's also where my creative writing is. And so the book is not, we did not change the grammar from the post necessarily from the book. We cleaned it up, but it's pretty much how I write and how I talk, which has been a real, um, I think, savior for me to be able to have social media 
because I don't have to care about the grammar. I write however I talk on Facebook. and it You can use emojis instead of words. I love emojis and it not in the book, of course, but no. and it comes across and it comes across as I talk. And so if you know me, you will know that I write as I talk and I'm not, you won't get a different person uh, version of me in real time than you're going to get on my social media. And so the book really, um, if you've never met me, you, you pretty much can sort of get a feeling for who I am and how I talk based on the book. Now, if someone wanted to see, where are you speaking next? Where's your next event that you'll be? Next event that we're going to be is Life Vision. I don't know when this is coming out, but Life Vision is at the mm -hmm. end of April. March. No, March. March. Oh, my God. Yep. Sorry. I think well, you know what it is. March 29th and 30th in Montreal is Life Vision. I'm closing the Friday night event. So I'll be the final speaker on Friday night on the 29th. After that, I will be speaking in um, uh, Peterborough again, Dr. Keith Thompson's group, which is a society that's April 13th. So two weeks after that, I'll be back in Toronto and driving out to Peterborough for that event. And then May, um, we're going to have a meeting of the minds for Canadian chiropractors and our guardians in the province. And we're going to be creating some strategy here for Canada. So we fly out to Toronto in May. Um, so yeah, should be, should be. And then, and then the shift unplugged. Then the shift unplugged at the end of May. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, my dear, like I, like I ha like to have all my guests do, what are your finally final parting words of wisdom and inspiration to leave our guests with today? Do you call them my dear when you ask that question? Nope. I only you. You're, <laughs> you call them my dear. I hope so. I might accidentally say that. <laughs> yeah, you might actually say that. Yeah. But well, I think if we go back to the beginning of the podcast where I've always been, did we even give any content or did we just like talk about random stuff? But we go back to the beginning of the podcast and we just talked about ritualistic thinking leads to habitualized behavior. The, one of the biggest thing you can do to improve your quality control on your product is to figure out a discipline that creates some um, momentum in breaking that ritualized thinking because that thinking is formed in the genetic veil usually because it feels like it keeps us safe. Um, but safety is honestly a perceived, uh, in order to feel safe, it means you have to perceive a threat. And I will guarantee that most of the time the threat is actually not real. And so what I, what I would leave people with is to really, it, it doesn't even have to be meditation. Meditation has happened to be the thing they talked about talked in the book. There are lots of disciplines you can pick that really create a break in that ritualized thinking uh, pattern that you have. And yes, if it start, if it feels uncomfortable, then it's probably the right discipline for you because ritualized thinking, remember, makes you feel safe. And in order to feel safe, you have to perceive danger. And so for you to feel uncomfortable in a discipline, you probably picked the right discipline. So I would encourage people that everybody, it's different than a ritual, everybody needs a discipline, a 90-day discipline, and then in the next 90 days, pick a different one. Um, and the discipline might become a habit, and it may not become a habit, but the key is that you're constantly um, creating a security guard for your amygdala and your brain, and you're constantly being vigilant that that doesn't hijack you and your purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, make sure you get that security system up for your amygdala, because if your amygdala hijacks your brain, you cannot crush the curse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out. <laughs>